Hello and welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Rick Wakeman with the North Plain from his most recent album, The Red Planet, because I've got the huge privilege to welcome today Rick Wakeman onto the Strange Brew podcast, a name that all Strange Brew listeners will be very familiar with. One of the greatest keyboard players, songwriters over the last 50 years. So let's listen to my chat with Rick. Hello, is that Rick? It's Jason here. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, obviously, it'h uh, be great to talk about your uh, your very imminent tour. Yeah, very short tour, but um, um, it's going to be busy, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah. So... Am I right that it's been uh, it's been about twenty years since you've you've done uh, a show of this kind? It's gosh, you know, it's not far off. It about yeah, about two thousand and two was the last time I was out with the band. Although we have, I have been with the band in in South America since then. Yeah, we've done a few shows in South America just with the band. Um, basically, in the in the UK. Well, in fact, outside of South America, yeah, that's very much it. It's, it's like twenty odd years. We're we're all a little bit older. <laughs> yeah, and the the format of the English rock ensemble enables you to bring out more of that progressive uh, side of your work. Do you think? Oh yeah, it does definitely. And also, I mean, I've got uh, the English rock ensemble has been around since nineteen seventy five, and I've got a, I've had a pool, what I call a pool of musicians that I can I can draw from to suit the lineup depending on what show it is that we're going to be putting together which is really useful uh, to be able to do and, and this time around I wanted to do uh, some pieces not that don't get, often get the chance to do um, as well as some of the old standards shall we say so this is why I've brought in uh, a girl singer Hayley Sanderson this time around so she can do some of the stuff that Chrissy Hammond used to do and Shaka Khan did which opens up more options to us also there's an interesting thing about uh, male and female singers female singers pretty much in general can sing all the male stuff because they have such a wider voice range whereas it's not that easy for male singers to see female ranges unless they want to have a couple of things removed yeah it's great timing as well because your most recent album, The Red Planet, had a similar sort of progressive feel as well. Yeah, I, I mean we love doing the, the Red Planet. That, that was tremendous fun, and we'll be doing a you know a track for that as well as other other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, it was a great opportunity to uh, to do. I just felt the time was right, and also the type of music I was writing at that time just it just suited it perfectly I was very very pleased with the Red Planet it was really well received as well by all quarters and tracks like the North Plane which start off quite evocatively and then diverge into more funky sounds were a great uh, way of expressing a broad range of sounds yeah I went back to the old the old way of uh, recording, I mean, almost back to how how I put Six Wives together, which was I just had all these different sounds and things I wanted to do, but I wanted to have clarity. I didn't want to have it uh, just big block sounds. I wanted, you know, somebody wanted to, to be able to hear the parts, shall we say, you know, hear all the all the contributions, and I wanted to have the the time changes. I wanted to have the mood changes within the within the pieces. Which is very much how I work with uh, with the six wives and and with the musicians there. So, yeah, it was was I I, I sort of call it a, for me a 21st century and 1970s prog album. 
space is a, a theme that you've come back to with the Red Planet. I think, was it Out There also was a similar theme? Yeah, Out There was all about a question that I've often asked is where does the music come from? Where does the compositions come from? And I'm great friends with a lot of people at, at NASA uh, and, uh, and a, a lot of astronauts and other friends that I've got. And, you know, they've asked me as well. And I've said, well, it, it comes from out there somewhere. And then I just thought, wouldn't it be good just to have a mythical big cathedral in the sky where all the music poured down and the musicians, if they were tuned into it, could pick it up. It was a sim- simple, simple idea. And um, it, I thought it worked well. The album, I was very pleased with the album, but it was it's a lot different from The Red Planet in as much as the, it was a very full-on album out there. It was um, using every ingredient a lot at the same time. It was very busy. Red Planet had more space. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the, in that way, they did they did differ. But um, two albums I like very much. I think the the English rock ensemble you also brought together pre-pandemic to celebrate your 70th birthday playing a Journey to the Centre of the Earth. So you do convene yep. occasionally. Yeah, they came. They were part of the orchestra, uh, yeah. obviously. For that, they weren't. It wasn't just me and the me and the band. Yeah, that was my seventieth birthday present to myself to do take Journey back to the Royal Festival Hall. We did two nights there, extended version, adding a lot of the music that was never in in the first place, adding some some guest singers. I had Haley on board as well as Ashley and Alfie Bow came in and and sang a sang a track which was great. It was, uh, and I had. Um, uh, Ian Lavender come in as uh, as narrator. It was great. It was a lovely birthday, two days birthday. The audiences were amazing, absolutely amazing. They they lifted us to another degree, which uh, it, it's hard to put into words, but, but it was amazing. What was it like like playing back with Ashley after all those years? The same music in the same venue. It must have been a great feeling. It, it was. It was really quite emotional in many in many ways, and. Uh, you know, because you're quite right. It was a a, a long time uh, since I'd I'd been, uh, and it was quite emotional. One of the strange things was I walked down the corridor to my dressing room, and there on the wall, along with lots of other photographs, was uh, a framed cover of Journey to the Centre of the Earth on the wall. And I said to one of the people, I said, "Did he just put that up?" They said, "No, that's been there since 1974." And I went, "Well, wow. the whole thing was was very emotional. I have to say." But the performances from the band, the orchestra, the choir, and the guests was just uh, out of this world. I couldn't have asked for any more. And that also seems to be one of the themes of, of your career is um, touching base with different things that have got uh, that as teenagers and children love and, and been inspired. So, Journey to the Centre of the Earth, obviously based on uh, Jules Verne. So, it, you seem to be going back to some of the wonder and excitement of growing up. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's the, I think you're dead right about being young and children and that. I mean, the the tragedy about children is that adults make them grow up. Mm. And uh, I never wanted to grow up, (laughs) really. And you're right. I mean, there's so much wonderful stuff out there. And I love telling stories to music, uh, like hence with King Arthur and Journey and other. I think, I think it's, I think it's a magical art, um, art form. And, And one that I, Hope I can continue until um, uh, the good Lord above or the bad one below decide that my time's up.
And just over 20 years ago, you, you made Return to the Centre of the Earth, and that also featured Ozzy Osbourne on Buried Alive, which uh, for many people was a bold choice, but that works really well. Yeah, that was great fun to do. I wanted to have different guests on that, and I spoke to Ozzy about it. I said, look, I've got a song called Buried Alive that I, I think is has got, shall we say, uh, metal stamped all over it. You know, and uh, he came out and said, let me hear the song. And I tell you, so I sent him the song, but only with the band, mm. not with, with, with the orchestra, which is really quite a raunchy answer. And he loved it. and said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So he, he did it in Los Angeles, sent it back. And I didn't tell him that the orchestra and choir were going on it after us. We then put the orchestra and choir on. And uh, I said to him, listen, uh, I've added a few musicians. And he went, well, I said, I've added the London Symphony Orchestra and the English Chamber Choir. And uh, he, 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 he exclaimed words to the effect of, bless my soul, that sounds good. Uh, send it to him. I sent it to him and, he, and I can put my hand on my heart and say he absolutely loved it. Loves it. And, uh, in fact, my son, Adam, who plays with him a lot, as you know, for the last 20 odd years, you know, he's spoken to Ed about it a few times and, and has been known to play in his, you know, in his, uh, dressing room and things around. It, it, it is amazing. And it just shows how music can mix and match. It really can. And it was well received by Aussie fans and Sabbath fans too. Absolutely. And your friendship and your work with, Aussie and, and also Black Sabbath, that, that goes back, w- way back to the early 70s, doesn't it? Oh, it does go back to 1970 when I first met them. And we are good friends. Um, I have so much respect for for Aussie and uh, Tony and, and Keith and, and Bill when he was with the band. Uh, very, very special guy. And they were, well, I love people who are good at what they do and love what they do. And Sabbath are good at what they do and they love what they do. And it doesn't get any better than that.
The forthcoming shows also feature, understand, some some tale from the six wives of, of Henry VIII. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we, we, there are certain things. I always try and listen to what people write to the website and people who come to concerts. And it's the old, the old thing that there's certain things that most people would very much like to hear. I mean, if you go to, if he was still alive... Uh, he went to a Frank Sinatra concert and he didn't sing my way, you'd go home disappointed. So we do look at what, a bit like a team sheet for a football manager, you do know what's got to go on the sheet. Uh, so I always will do, I'll do a track from Six Wives, we'll do a, uh, some bits from Journey, do some bits from Arthur, uh, and then uh, uh, the rest might be a, the odd surprise here and there. And I'll do a yes piece as well. I don't know why, they never play any of mine. <laughs> Six Wives, people might not know it now, but that album and the material that you were making was, was such a, a departure from other artists, even in the prog world. Um, you seem to really, really ha- have a vision for something and, and, and follow it through. I like trying... I, well, it was. I, I learned quite a lot from, from my dear departed friend, David Bowie. Bowie said, if you've got an idea, a musical idea, and you've got something that you really want to do, he said... Uh, don't take any advice. Just do it, uh, because then it's, it's, it stands and falls by you and not by other people. And and that was very much the Six Wives. Uh, I listened to <laughs> to nobody. Obviously, when the uh, musicians came in, they had a lot of freedom of what they wanted to play, how they wanted to play it, uh, which was great. And that gave them something different from normal normal working with other musicians and, and other things because uh, they had a, a bit of a freedom that they'd never had before. And talking about that Bowie link, it's amazing to think how young you were when you were doing those sessions in the late 60s with the likes of Gus Dudgeon and Tony Visconti. And yeah. That led on to you know an incredible uh, work with, with David. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, the interesting thing is, yeah, I was young. But in a strange way, I've been doing nothing really but music my whole life since I was five. So there'd been 15 years of, of, of music being my life. So it wasn't that I just sort of started when I was 15 or 16 or even 18 or 19. It, I managed through fabulous um, teachers and professors and people I'd worked with and I'd worked with. I'd been playing in bands since I was 13 uh, and learning from musicians and things all the way around and picking up good things so yeah i was i was young but i had i had quite a lot of musical experience already um uh, which grew enormously when i started doing sessions because by the time i did hunky dory i i'd played on about 2000 tracks and i'd learned a lot from producers and i'd learned a lot from different artists and different musicians good and bad what to do and what not to do so i'd actually gained a lot of experience by that time which i think helped tremendously it clearly did because when when you look at some of the material from that period to provide the levels of um complexity with material like life on mars and was it that david just took a, an acoustic guitar and you had to bring that life in with the piano uh he played it for me in his house in beckham before we went into the studio he played me all the songs from hunky dory on his old 12 string guitar and I sat at his, his beautiful piano that he had there uh, with manuscript paper and a pencil, made loads and loads of notes. And basically, David always gave freedom to the musicians he used. And 
it was a great line he said to me uh, after after he played me live on I said, Okay, play it back on, on the piano as a as a piano thing. And I said, How would you like me to play it? And he said, You know how I want you to play it. <laughs> I said, I don't know, you haven't told me. He said, You know, just play it. So I played it and he said, Yeah, that's how I want you to play it. And he always had this thing that pick the musicians that understand what you want to do and let them get on with it. I mean he was remarkable. I learned so much from that man. And in that period, you were playing with Straubs, and there's one particular track that I'd like to ask you about, and um, something penned by Dave Cousins, and that's A Glimpse of Heaven. And 
Yeah. That's a wonderful uh, track. Yeah. The sound sound and feel of that has got a, a real church uh, hymnal feel. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, there's a few pieces at that time that were when Dave was absolutely at his peak, both beautiful lyrically and musically. A Glimpse of Heaven, he wrote, he had a house in Devon, and uh, I think it was... It was either Sidmouth or Seton. I can't tell you which one it is, but he was up on the cliffs. He had a caravan there, and he sat on the cliffs and looked out around him out to see him back over the uh, uh, hillside and everything. And then he, that's where he wrote A Glimpse of Heaven. I've actually been there and sat there. And I used to say to people, you know, go in your car, drive up there and play the track. Hmm. It's beautiful. Uh, the hillside was a patchwork quilt. It was. It was just... Beautiful. Um, in fact, I must do it. I must do it again. I must check with Dave. Whether it, I can't remember whether it was Sidmouth or Seton, but it was. Uh, it was perfect, and that was David at his height. And it's a beautiful track.
speckled eggs all newly laid But for you I would have stayed I think I must have caught a glimpse of heaven And in terms of um, moving on from Strobs, you, you had that moment where, you, you know, you had the offer to, to work with David and you had the offer to work with Yes and, and you chose the Yes option. Yeah, it was. Uh, David always said it was the right option because much as I love David's music, much as I could have happily played it for the rest of my life, there, in, in a band there would be a limit to how far I could go because obviously you're always playing David's music. So there is a ceiling as to where your input can be. And also, David, of course, changes his bands a lot because, as I mentioned earlier, he picks musicians that are ideal for the music yeah. uh, and changes all the time. So it, it, I don't think it would have lasted very long anyway. But the thing with Yes is Yes. I mean, David was miles bigger than Yes at the time. But Yes, were, I, I, I'd seen Yes play. I'd listened to the Yes album and uh, also Time and a Word. Uh, and it was interesting. I thought this is a band that I feel has an orchestral uh, rock feel to it, but it needs that orchestral bit. And I always felt that I could perhaps add that other little link, uh, which is, uh, and and also have the chance to make suggestions on how uh, the music was put together, and which became my job, really, of, of linking all the different parts and that together, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So, I mean, David and I were neighbours in Switzerland for many years in the late 70s, 76 to 1980, really. And uh, we used to meet in a little club in Montreux and, and chat about the world. And he always said it was, he said, you made absolutely the right decision. You can hear that uh, listening to Close to the Edge. That feels like a band that uh, are really pooling resources and everyone's bringing something to the table. Yeah, Close to the Edge was very, very special. I, I always say it was the last It was the last of the true, true prog rock albums because it was the last time that, yes, and in fact any other band almost, was ahead of technology. Mm. Uh, there wasn't the technology there to enable us to do a lot of things. So we had to find ways of doing it. The musician was ahead of the game.
as well with, with the tour, you'll also be featuring some material from the myths and legends of King Arthur. Yeah, we always do bits from King Arthur, yeah. Again, that hark back to your childhood and the, the stories. Yeah, I, 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 I was taken to Tintagel. I was about, oh, crack, I wasn't very old, six, six years old, maybe seven at the most. I stayed in on some friends of my parents' little farm, and then uh, I was taken one day to to Tintagel. It, I just, it was magical. I, I couldn't believe it. it was just fantastic. And I I was given some books on King Arthur, some children's books on King Arthur, which I still have somewhere. Yeah. And that always stayed with me. I just thought it was just so magical. And I, and as you know, I love myths, legends and stories and, and history. And it, and it stayed with me. And after, well, in fact, while I was doing Journey, I was already planning on King Arthur. I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. But it's such a some great mythical stories and oh, it's just it's just lovely uh, and that's and that's a big a big part of me. That sort of personal feel of some of the stories comes out in in, in tracks like Sir Lancelot and the Black Knight and, yeah. and Guinevere. You, you really trying to embody those those myths there. Yeah, it was also an interesting time because a lot of the music I wrote while I was in hospital. I'd had I'd had some heart trouble and I, and I was in hospital for nine weeks uh, and I had some manuscript paper. And pencils, and I wrote a lot of the music while I, I was there. <clears throat> and there was, in fact, one day when uh, when a, a consultant came round to bed, and my manager was there, and my wife at the time, and uh, and the consultant said, "I I think Mr. Wakeman can't tour or do anything strenuous anymore. Uh, so I think that's uh, that, that's probably he's going to have to look for a different career." And I was what twenty something like that 25 and I remember him going and I said to my money I said no way I said if you're going to take my if you're going to take my music away I might as well not be here yeah and uh he said well, what do you want to do we, we um and I said well we're recording King Arthur when I come out so I'm writing it now and I said I want you to book me a tour hmm. in America I said, if I'm going to go down, I'll go down fighting. And after he went with my manuscript paper and everything, I I wrote the last battle, which is not really just the last battle of uh, King Arthur, but it was um, probably my my last battle because I, I wasn't going to give in.
Sir Hector, Sir Bors, Sir Blamour, and Sir Bleoboris, the only surviving knights of the Round Table, ended their days after a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Soon after, the Saxons conquered all of Britain, and the realm of Lord was over. Many believed that Arthur would return to re-establish the Holy Realm of Lord and save Britain in the hour of its deadliest danger. About the year 1200, the monks of Glastonbury discovered the bones of Arthur, buried near to those of Guinevere. Beneath the coffin, a stone inlaid with a leaden cross bore the Latin inscription, Here lies King Arthur in his tomb, with Guinevere, his wife, in the island of Avalon. I'd like to ask you about an album that some people may not know of. It's just a fantastic listen, and that's African Bark. Oh, I loved African Bark. That de- that deserves um, a, a much broader broader hearing. Yeah, the history of it. I, I got. Um, I was contacted by a group of, of businessmen who worked in South Africa, and uh, they were looking at, at people to make albums, and they had funding. 
I mean, not a lot of funding, but they had funding. And they came to to me and asked what, and I said, I would really, really like to do this and I would like to make it uh, an album encompassing Africa, encompassing all of the, the different races down there, the different sort of in, indigenous things that have gone on, everything. I want to really encompass what it's all about. And they said, yeah, fine, go ahead. So I, I wrote African Bark, which I, I really enjoyed writing. I found a black Baptist choir in South Africa who loved the idea of the project and they and they recorded the choir parts for me which were done in um outside of South Africa because uh, they they uh, it was all the, the time of apartheid and I was just trying to help everybody down there not uh, do anything controversial but sometimes blanket laws make it really stupid um Anyway, the, by, by they did a fantastic choir on it, uh, and then we, we we recorded a a video and everything for it. And then I discovered that in fact the people who'd who'd um, uh, commissioned it it was a tax loss. Oh, they were doing it as a tax loss and not. Fair. But then they had a problem. One of the guys involved, one of the main guys involved, came. He said, "We have a real problem." He said, "Because we love this album." Mm. But we have no, we had no plans of anywhere to release it or what to do with it. I couldn't afford to buy it off of them. I would have loved to. And in the end, they did a, they did a deal, nothing to do with me, with President Records, who I, who uh, I know very well. And I, mm. um, but uh, the album then just disappeared. Mm. And it was that for me was tragic because I think it's one of the nicest and best albums I've, I've ever put together. It means a lot. It has a great heritage to it, with the heritage of Africa, and uh, and also with the choir. And yeah, it, it disappeared without tra- without trace. And you know, occasionally that happens, but that was that was saddening for me. Yeah.
To close, I've read that um, Cat Stevens hearing an early version of uh, Catherine Howard inspired him to to get you involved with uh, Morning Has Broken. Is that right? Uh, yes and no. Um, no, it wasn't. Uh, we went to do Morning Has Broken, and there were, it was just the, just the, the hymn, the song that we had, and and Steve wanted a, an introduction. And I'd been in the studio, and I I was playing because I just started writing Catherine Howard and I was playing the beginning bit and he liked that a lot and he said he said can can you that kind of style can we have something that is the opening and 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 ending with key changes and things and so that's that's what I did uh he hadn't heard it before he just heard me play in the studio Rick, I'm wishing you all the best with the forthcoming tour. I've I've seen that you already post on Twitter that the rehearsals are going well and uh, hopefully everyone can get themselves along. I hope so. Yeah, it, rehearsals are great. It's uh, you know it's a quite a different lineup. Although the wonderful Lee Pomeroy and Dave Calhoun are there. Tony Fernandez not with us this time. He's in Portugal. He has businesses and things over there. And also with the restrictions and, and flight difficulties and whatever, it's, it was just impossible for him to come in and just do this and go back again. So uh, my son Adam, who's also in the band, has uh, has uh, got together. Adam Faulkner, great drummer. So he's he's brilliant. And as I mentioned earlier, I have a pool of players. Of course, we wanted to do uh, some different songs, some some of the female songs from the from the past. Haley's coming uh, this time around, uh, and that's the great thing about having. But it's a bit like a a football team having a squad of players. The manager can mm. pick who's best for that particular game. And you've got some uh, great artists um, supporting you as well. Yeah, well, it's 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 really good. Um, uh, I mean, obviously. Um, Carl's a great mate, and I love what he's done with his legacy band. And uh, I'm very clever the way that he's got. I think that he's got guitarists playing um, a lot of a lot of the themes and keys parts. Um, I think that was that was really a good idea, very well put together. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I'm very pleased, very happy boy. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Rick. It's been a huge pleasure. Ah, uh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Cheers, mate.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.